Good morning! This is Jeeves, all the way across the Atlantic, staring at a rather staring at a rather dreary sky out uh, on the East Coast. And this is this is Krishna from uh, London, where it's a surprisingly sunny morning, afternoon, uh, uh, rather. Um, and welcome to take two of random conversations on Xbox Live Chat, where we discuss all things uh, random that we would normally talk about when we are when we play Xbox Live games across the Atlantic. So our so. first topic for the for this week is to discuss the possible upcoming Windows 8 uh, releases and uh, Microsoft Office optimized for touch um, with with the with the mobile World Congress around the corner being hosted in Barcelona uh, Microsoft is expected to make a pretty big announcement there about Windows 8 and uh, and a lot of the excitement around the 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 uh, release has to do with with uh, Windows 8 with Windows 8's uh, user interface optimized for touch with the Metro UI, and people have been wondering if Microsoft Office will get the same treatment as well. Uh, well, I do believe that Microsoft Office has been. Promised, and I and I put promised in uh, rather large quotes uh, to be optimized for touch or the Metro UI, and they're going to come up with they're going to come up with some technology because they have to have. I mean, what the heck is Microsoft Windows without Microsoft Office? I mean, this it's it's kind of like releasing a BlackBerry without the capability to access email. Oh wait, they've done that. <laughs> yes. Um, so I mean, in terms of in terms of Microsoft Office being released in that fashion, I do believe that's going to be the case. Although, although someone uh, someone I was talking to uh, last night made a very very good point about the possibility of Microsoft Office being released simultaneously across the across Windows 8 and the iOS devices, or maybe even like a six month gap between the two, because Microsoft has always made a policy of promoting products first, their their internal products before they promote uh, before they promote platforms. The Windows 8 platform might get sacrificed in an effort to promote the Microsoft Office suite. And they've done this because, well, it's an antitrust thing in my opinion, but it's also you know, the fact that departments like to fight each other at Microsoft. That is true. Um, uh, there was some, there was a leak, uh, leak uh, the middle of the week where, where I think the Daily, which is, uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, newspaper that is optimized for iPad only um, got got screenshots of Windows 8 and uh, released them. And a couple of couple of uh, pundits uh, weighed in on those screenshots. That was the screenshots were of Microsoft Office for the iPad. So, so, so you could well be right in that it's we could see a joint release of Microsoft Office, uh, the platform put ahead of Windows 8 as such. Um, but that really begs the question 
of who is the target for Windows 8. Uh, the traditional Microsoft stronghold has been the enterprise. Uh, and with Windows 8 being, being very consumer-focused, consumer-oriented with its touch-optimized interface, uh, big push for tablets, um, what do you think that's going to do to the enterprise? How is it going to fare with the enterprise? That's actually a very interesting point because when it comes to the enterprise, it's it's hard to you know really talk about um, where they currently are missing functionality. I mean, most good product launches are based on identifying a uh, identifying a lack or identifying some ability that you cannot do right, uh, some ability that you need or something that you cannot do right now and then fulfilling that gap. When it comes to Windows 8, given the fact that if you want a truly, you know, something that's competitive with the iPad or something that's competitive with any of the Android tablets, you need to be running on an ARM on an ARM chipset, right? That's how you're going to get your eight to twelve hours of eight to twelve hours of battery life, and you know it'll keep going till it till you can beat someone with it, right? That capability would also mean that you need to redo every application that you have to run on the ARM architecture. Therefore, from an enterprise perspective, I mean the enterprise world seems to have just skipped Windows Vista because there's been far too much of a hassle, you know, over those five or six years to actually rebuild a lot of their applications to work on Vista. It's only now that they're reluctantly moving on to Windows 7. One, because 7 is a lot better than Vista. And two, yeah, they're on a 10-year-old op uh, uh, operating system that's finally getting uh, that's finally getting phased out, right? Well, what are the chances that all these companies are going to recode all their applications just to work on a Windows uh, on a Windows 8 uh, uh, on a Windows 8 system. Yeah, uh, Windows 8 is supposed to at least the Windows 8 for tablets is supposed to be optimized for ARM architecture uh, since they do have since their uh, their architecture is optimized for better battery life and all the iPads and iPhones and uh, and the Android devices as well uh, run on ARM, uh, run on ARM chipsets, um, and that does bring up a good point about about applications being applications having to be redeveloped to run on new to run on new run on new chipsets. However, I think increasingly um, that's that's going to be less of a problem as more and more enterprises move to to cloud software uh, provided by the likes of Salesforce.com. Um, so uh, all you're really going to need is your browser optimized for and, any. And, right, and at that point, it doesn't matter what operating system you have. So the so the argument would be, why go for this new thing when I've when I've already had the iPad rolled out to you know a, a lot of companies have already done test project rollouts of iPads to their uh, sales community uh, with the advent of uh, Citrix. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, these applications. I mean, your iPads are, are becoming the thin clients of the new age, right? They are essentially just a you know you've got nothing with them. Some people might carry a Bluetooth keyboard around because they don't like uh, typing on it. But for the most part, if everything's out in the cloud anyway, what is the what is the true benefit of Windows 8? 
True, true. Um, good question. It's going to be an interesting battle going forward uh, with with Windows 8 to be released sometime in 2012 and uh, the next version of iOS and the iPad continuing to have incredible sales. It's uh, the the future of these companies are at stake here. Yeah. Although I do have to say, you know, just on a related path, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if any of these major conferences are actually going to be the battlegrounds that we're going to be looking at, right? Or it's or if it's slowly moving away. We we know that um, that uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, Microsoft started to pull out of that. Uh, I know that a couple. I mean, Apple pulled Apple out of, their pulled own out of Macworld a couple of years right? ago. So, uh, Mo- Mobile World Congress, whilst it used to be the place that I would that I would you know w- eagerly await brand new uh, products, and this is going to be the greatest stuff for the rest of the year, and people are going to start talking about it, that's no longer the case. The Samsung Galaxy S3, something I desperately, desperately want to see, it's not going to be shown at Mobile World Congress. I think I, I, I think you're right. Uh, c- c- companies uh, companies are seeing the Seeing the benefit of having a controlled uh, surrounding where they control, they control every aspect of the message, like Apple has has done traditionally um, with their uh, with their with their major events, and uh, with Microsoft pulling out pulling out of CES. Um, I think the only really big tech shows left are mobile world congress and um, and the and the video game uh, trade shows yeah e3 i e3, think e3 yes you're right so it'll be interesting to see the future of these trade shows whether people really continue to flock to them or with the with in the age that we live in with uh, live blogging and live video feeds whether people really continue to go to go to these sort of trade shows, or uh, whether companies would prefer to control every aspect of the message, like like the like the trend is now. That's well, you know, that's actually a great segue in terms of um, E3 and the video game industry, right? What do you think is going to happen? When you have companies, you only have mega corporations, right? Like EA, like Blizzard, um, uh, you know, Blizzard Activision, trying to come up with new games and release them in a fashion that's very similar to how Apple releases their products. And you know, uh, these corporations, most people don't realize it, but video games are a multi billion dollar industry yes right some of these games make more money than some movies out yes there. I, i'm pretty sure call of duty uh, call of duty in its first two weeks three weeks alone outsold uh quite a few uh, quite a few movie, uh, movies and came somewhere close to um avatar like status oh, i'm certain in terms of uh, in terms of revenue right what happens when these companies start to realize hey i could make i could make it an even bigger event by doing, you know, just doing things outside of E3 or outside of, uh, surprisingly, the Spike Video Game Awards. Um, I don't know what. What do you think? I haven't sort of followed 
the video game release cycles that closely to know how they release video games. I normally wait until uh, people whom I play games with tell me the next new games are before going to buy them. Hmm. Well, in terms of the video game release cycle, it's surprisingly uh, it's surprisingly as important as when they do movie release cycles or even television release cycles in the U.S. Right now, the movie release cycles are more of a worldwide phenomenon because when you're when you're releasing big Hollywood movies, they try and schedule that such that they're not competing with another similar film in the same uh, in the same weekend. They always have you you notice that they always stagger uh, certain uh, certain kinds of films uh, based on certain uh, certain times of the year. Yeah, yeah. Right, you you've got your big Bollywood uh, sorry your big Hollywood action films that are always scheduled during the summer. You've got your horror films right around your big horror films right around the time of halloween right and you've got your you know big family films right around christmas right and then you've got all the one-offs and that's something that you tend to see a lot of in the jan to april or jan to may time frame these are the one-off films where they're not kind of they're not entirely sure what to do with them they're not massive budget but at the same time they could be big a lot of the films that are released in the jan to a May time frame tend to become either cult classics or just really, really B movies, yeah. right? And those are ones that you are a hundred percent sure that the film that the film producers, not the filmmakers, right? The filmmakers always believe that their work is classic. It's the film producers who really don't know what to do with them. Like, okay, I'll I'll push it off to my you know off season. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, so you have the holiday releases and you have the big summer blockbusters and then you have the ones that just that just sort of fall in the middle that are the nothings and i guess it's very similar for uh, for video games as well yes the only the only thing that happens on a video game side is that sometimes they would have a planned release and then it becomes uh, it goes up to the publisher where if there is some kind of delay they either place it into an off uh, in an off release cycle or they wait an entire 6 months to put it back into the correct release cycle and the more time you spend that's where it becomes a matter of money because the more time you spend just sitting on that game you're paying all your developers you're paying everyone and the game's really ready to be released Although definition of really ready to be released has changed over the years, especially with the patching concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, okay, look at Mass Effect Three. Mass Effect Three was originally expected to be a holiday release, right? They are hyping that game up so much right now; it's unbelievable, right? And people are coming to a frenzy point when it comes to Mass Effect Three. Heck, they actually they've actually sent up copies of Mass Effect 3 in a space balloon, right? And just said, go find it. There's a GPS There's a GPS uh, tag attached to it. Go look <laughs> yeah. it up and go find Mass Effect 3 yeah, copies now. Yeah. It's been to space. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's some incredible marketing. Yep. And then if you look at uh, Gears, so so that got that got delayed by three months. It's actually getting released in a completely off-cycle basis. Right, which means that a lot of people have already spent all their Christmas money buying games, um, and now they're going to have to buy this massive, massive, massive game. Right, all the fans out there are going to do it. It doesn't matter. But what about all those new people that you're trying to get? They've missed the cycle. Right, a lot of people don't have cash at the beginning of the year for a game 
they're going to spend that more along the lines of summer right where they have a general entertainment budget mm. or around uh, or around winter again when they're buying things for other people that's true yeah yeah right but gears gears of war 3 last year was interesting that was supposed to come out in the april may time frame and they just delayed it they delayed it to the september october time frame right mm-hmm. now if you look at it from a from a timing perspective april may would have been perfect for anybody coming out of college having a summer vacation and being able to play the game as opposed to september october when people are going back into college they're running out of time and yet they had to release the game mm. but the timing works out well from a from a money spending perspective because people are doing the whole back to school uh concept at that time uh, of uh, at that time of the year you've got sales going on for back to school you've got people who have some cash to spend where you're going to buy games in college you may not have time to spend uh, to play it but you have money left to burn to buy it interesting i uh, i think i never really looked at the video game a market like that um and i suppose when a when a new game costs 60 dollars or 40 pounds as it is over here um you really do start to get into these things about release cycles and how much uh how much disposable income families have at at the moment to buy games and you do want to want to want to stagger out your blockbusters um so so people have the opportunity to buy them and to play them it's it, that's the that's the interesting point about the video game industry it's almost always like ah it's games right you know what does it really matter it's not that it's not that uh, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things the mpaa and the riaa constantly be little games like ah piracy problems in games don't worry about that you know movies far more important but when you think about the amount of money they're bringing in yeah yeah um uh video games are really a wave of of the future and and the last 5 years has has seen it really go mainstream i mean if someone like me had three game consoles at a point of time that definitely does mean it's gone mainstream uh, i mean i enjoy my video games but i wouldn't call myself a hardcore gamer but but there was a point of time when i had uh three game consoles so yeah um or actually two game consoles but i have but i have now owned all three of the major game consoles at one point of time or the or yep, the other yeah yeah i mean that's it's just it's an absolutely fascinating fascinating topic especially when you start uh, especially when you start uh, looking into like uh, the psychology and you know how how they want to uh, because marketing is all about that and uh, i've actually you know i've been working with the marketing department a lot at work mm-hmm. right so it gets very fascinating when they start talking about the same thing about services in the same fashion you got to announce it in a particular in a particular venue you got to you've got to make sure that you're uh, competitive with all the competing products at the same time because um being first with a being first out the door is good but being first out the door with a product that everyone wants to use or is uh locked in is yeah better. and uh, and i think it's a topic for a 
future podcast i would love to d- discuss this in a little more uh, depth after i've done some reading about it yep 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 um um but that's actually an interesting point that yeah we can definitely cover this in another in another podcast uh, the the uh, the other major thing that's kind of happened this week uh was of course the implementation of two things actually the two major things that happened that i noticed um facebook finally uh finally uh mandated the timeline view on everyone uh-huh. right and and uh google's privacy uh, laws came to well not privacy laws but their privacy policy finally came into full effect uh sometime earlier this week mm. um i actually haven't been following the facebook timeline thing because i was one of the early adopters i got timeline as soon as i could uh you know how i am i have to get the uh, i have to be on the forefront so um but i did see a couple of complaints on facebook from people saying uh saying that they've finally been forced into the timeline world and i actually don't think it's that bad i'm not sure why people complain so much i mean it only affects a person's profile and that's not the default view that you have of facebook anyway when you go to facebook.com you're not presented with your profile or a person's profile and said you're you're presented with the uh with the with the uh stream of status updates and i quite that, that is true. like the timeline of a person i mean yes it does sort of it does sort of um encourage stalking if you want to find out stuff about a person from uh, from years ago but uh, um i think i think uh, i don't think it's that bad well the, i don't know if it's the uh, i don't know if it's that there is anything inherently bad with it so much as i i didn't even look at it the, from the stalking perspective right um i was just looking at it more along the lines of the people i have talked to about timeline have very clearly stated two things right one it uh it requires a little bit more maintenance to look pretty right yep. because you've got you've got uh, you know competing things uh, across the page you've got this new cover cover photograph it needs a little bit more effort to look pretty one yep. right but that actually pales in comparison to the second issue which is it's more complex people who aren't used to it or people who have spent the time remember change itself right this i i i may classify this as change for change sake but it's not really they're actually doing a better job of trying to move along the fact that facebook is a part of your life and they try and um you know they do a good job with that uh, with that when you look at the fact that if you put your birthday in uh that that day or that um year start uh, shows up in your timeline and you have an entire life time associated with it from date of birth till present showing up on the top right hand corner right but for people who are used to a certain way of doing things right and i'm not talking about um early adopters or um uh, people who are, uh, who are used to technology changing and are willing to adapt but for all the moms and dads and grandfathers uh, grandfathers and grandmothers uh, out there right and for all the people who just want things to work right the apple crowd also 
that's where a lot of the most uh, most vocal complaints have been coming change from. is always hard yeah i mean change is always hard especially when you are used to something and the way it, and you're kind of settled in the way it's working but but hey where would we be without facebook changing something major every 12 months and without an uproar about how people hate it right i mean that's how nothing things changes that way uh get pushed forward yep i mean well nothing nothing changes from that perspective someone's always complaining about facebook <laughs> and facebook does whatever they want so there's no change from that perspective but the 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 change will come in people will complain about it for a month and then everyone everyone will say oh it's the greatest thing ever yep. right it, it doesn't i i think that the, the the change now is just that people are going to have to get used to the new uh, the new profile and they're going to have to put in a little bit more effort into their fa- into their facebook profile page to make sure that to make it look like someone's actually maintaining that profile as opposed to just parking the profile because you have the same concept in facebook you have people who will sign up and just park their username uh, their username and name out there to make sure that no one steals it and they'll you know never log on to facebook ever again yeah. right so that's they they kind of need to do a little bit more work now right but that's that's contra- that contravenes what facebook wants people to do facebook wants people to stay on their uh, on their sites for everything and uh, the timeline uh, the timeline con- uh, concept is just helping people move along in staying with with facebook, facebook. yes especially in competition with Google Plus and a lot of these newer uh, social networks like uh, Path and Instagram etc so actually t- do you know anything about Path i've not actually logged in i don't yeah, know so about Path. so i have so i downloaded path about say start of the year on my iphone um and i installed it i started to use it um so the so it's actually path v2 path v1 i never uh, i didn't actually use um so i'm looking at my path now i joined on december 17th um it's an interesting concept i think you can have at most 150 friends and it's a mobile only social network so there's no there's no corresponding website to visit it's only on your phone um and the application is actually a very very slick uh it's done really well um hmm. and uh, but but it's iphone only right no, now no 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 they have an android version they have and okay. i believe they have a windows phone version too um and so on the bottom left of the application you have this little this little uh, this little button that if you tap uh six different things uh, uh jump out you can take a photograph uh, and you can apply some filters you can say whom you're with uh you can check in you can say what music you're listening to or you can just post a status update and um you can also link all your these updates that you do to different services like facebook or twitter or foursquare so so it's supposed to be a more private social network because because it limits it to 150 friends and uh so you only share with the, those people 
and uh, if you want to you can have your statuses to go out to to the other networks as well um it is pretty big in the in the in the uh, silicon valley community but amongst uh, my 500 or so facebook face, facebook friends i think there are maybe two people who have bought but hmm, i it almost seems like a contradiction in terms more private but it's a social network i you want to have as large a social network as possible but you have a group of or uh, or and the google plus world a circle of close exactly so so it's sort of targeting just that just that close circle that you would interact with um i started using it and i forced reva my wife to jump on so she was my only friend and uh, <laughs> and uh, i really haven't found anybody else actually using path um and my usage is sort of sort of dropped off as well i mean you can the nice thing is that you can you can apply you can take photos and apply f- filters so it does what instagram does you can check in so you so it does what foursquare does you can post out status updates so that's kind of facebook and twitter and you can tag your friends so you so if you were checking in with someone um that's kind of what you can do on f- facebook as well so so it's a combination of things uh, but they were also in the news a couple of weeks ago for their privacy snafu where a hacker out in singapore found that they were uploading your entire address book to their servers to store it there um so they could let you know when uh well, they could let you know when someone from your address book had then joined path um mm, well th- now see here's the inter- uh, here's the thing i'm pretty sure that pinterest does the exact same no, thing no and it's not just pinterest they all do it all do they it. all do yeah. it i mean they just got caught uh, linkedin does it facebook does it like that's how f- uh, linkedin tells me that someone new from my address book has joined like they they store all my email addresses uh, but the i think the big issue here was that path wasn't encrypting so the so the so the latest is that they were sending this data over an https connection so it was over a secure network connection but the address book itself wasn't hashed so it wasn't stored securely on their servers and the big outcry was that they didn't inform their users that they that they do this that when you first start up path it doesn't tell you that they're going to upload their uh, upload a user's address book however i think it was really it was really it, it's really overblown a user's address book uh, while while yes there are a lot of arguments for why it is and can be private um increasingly at least in the world that i live in uh contacting me and having my number and email address is uh, is no longer a matter of privacy while i still closely 
closely guard my private email address and phone number i don't publish it online um if it, if my stuff did get out there i wouldn't be overly concerned about it yeah i mean especially in this day and age uh, i i actually have a public email address and a public phone number that is published on facebook because in you know in case someone does want to get a contact and hold of me but the but the interesting thing of a um, i mean a privacy snafu is that you know everyone uh, everyone does it they were just caught this time yeah um and uh, i mean Google, so so google owns uh, owns my soul i think at this point. absolutely i mean there's so much information you've given them and uh and google got into a privacy snafu as well since since that's what we're talking about now um it was found out uh the the version of mobile safari that runs on iPhones doesn't allow third party cookies to be to be to be to be downloaded so if you went to let's say uh the wall street journal's website on your iphone the wall street journal could only download their own co- cookies onto mobile mobile safari and third parties like uh like google like google's adsense or the double click or various other ad networks couldn't download uh cookies onto the phone but google had found a loophole here and they were and they were using that to download these cookies and interestingly this was also found out in the last week and google very quickly apologized and said no no they were just finding a way to to have the plus 1 buttons be embedded on the websites um now this raises an interesting uh point in that what is the privacy policy that ought to be that ought to be in place nationally uh, around cookies cookies are used to store state information on a person's computer so if you visit a web- website and then come back to it the site knows that you've been there and can uh, keep you logged in or store your preferences but it's also you used to used to track the websites that you visit and serve you personalized pers- personalized ads um it's it's a dual it's a dual argument i mean i i could i could go on the one hand and say you know you you're violating my privacy by being able to by being able to download these uh, third party cookies but at the same time uh it goes the same way as why do you have ads for television shows ads pay for exactly. television shows exactly absolutely and that's exactly the point i was going to make is that what is the harm if if the only purpose of these cookies is to serve you ads and these ads provide you content for free then there is and the expectation from the consumer is to be able to access content for free from washington post or facebook or uh, wall street journal or hulu whatever be it there needs to be a way to pay for the content 
Right. And and you know that for the most part, the reason why they don't have any stricter filtering on third party cookies <laughs> is that, I mean, you can always set, you can actually set up your privacy settings or security settings within when you uh, get uh, cookies to be filter, uh, to filter it between known uh, known cookie sources and unknown cookie sources, right? I'm pretty sure that unknown cookie sources are the ones I'd be worried about, but known cookie sources that could be uh, that could be signed, right, by a known company like Google's fairly large in that way. You could say you could add them to a trusted cookie source, uh, but you won't ever be allowed to do that because Apple doesn't want to encourage that uh, that capability. It's actually anti-competitive. Right. Um, Apple a, says. A that it is for security and yes there is an argument to be made for security but i think the real reason apple does it is because they want uh, their own ad platform called iads to be used on the iphone they don't want to allow third-party ads because they think oh uh, they want to control the entire consumer experience including the ads that the consumer is shown Yep. Although iAds is slowly, slowly, slowly dying because it's far too expensive for people to actually get in. Yeah, I haven't seen any uh, recent uh, uh, talk about iAds, so I'm not sure how it's really faring in the market. Um, I think I heard that uh, I heard that they actually reduced. It used to be your minimum spend on an iAd was uh, supposed to be a million dollars. And it slowly dropped to five hundred thousand, and just last week it dropped to three hundred thousand. Mm, interesting. So give it another couple of weeks, it'll hit a hundred thousand, and then eventually they'll make it like, you know, <laughs> or AdSense. Ah, They're like oh yeah yeah everyone. Everyone can use it for free. Um, it's true. Uh, and I think uh, I don't think that can be really called anti-competitive in the sense that it's not a monopoly practice. So so. Uh, so it's not going to go to go to court in that sense, but yes, it is a practice that isn't uh, uh, very fair. But as long as Apple's market share continues to be so small uh, in uh, various markets, uh, like I was reading this morning, that their share of the of the of the global mobile phone market is is at still below six percent. And this is the entire mobile phone market is below 6%. So I don't think it could really be anti-competitive in that sense. But I think they own about 40% of the global smartphone market. That's true. That is true. Um, right. But it's when, when well, Apple's Apple's the very definition of a boutique firm. They own little bits of here and there and whatever they produce, they produce a very small quantity of, but they make massive profits. Yep. Yep. Right. The, the largest, uh, most, uh, the largest and richest tech company in the world. Not right now, just as far as I know. tech company, the largest company in the world. They are at the cup. Their market capitalization is just short of five hundred billion dollars, and it's the largest company in the world by market cap. Huh, it's uh, larger than Exxon Mobil even, and continues to rise. And astound. It's. It's shocking, really. Anyway, um, since we're coming up to the 40-minute mark, shall we start to wrap up? I just want to talk about a beer I bought uh, last weekend that I haven't opened yet, and I am quite excited to try it. Okay, which it's one is called, it? 
Saint Sebastian's Dock. It's a Belgian Abbey Ale. Um, it's a micro brew from Belgium. Um, and it comes in a ceramic bottle uh, with a, with, and that bottle also has a flip cap. So hmm. once you open the bottle, uh, it's got a normal b b bottle cap, but once you open that, you can reseal it with the flip cap so so it stays somewhat uh, fresh um and i really paid through my nose for this bottle i was at uh, i was actually at a bar at a pub and uh so i so i ended up paying paying a wholesale uh, paying a retail price for the bottle i paid 11 pounds and 25 pence that's almost 18 dollars i think um, and googling around a googling around a little bit i have seen it on sale for about seven pounds and about nine dollars in the u.s but um surprisingly i haven't been able to find any really good uh, uh, retail microbrew stores in london um, uh, they all tend to be outside of London. So I ended up paying retail price for it. I haven't yet opened it. Um, um, so apart from the packaging being uh, really fancy, um, it's supposed to be a dark beer. It's, uh, it's a, and I'm really looking forward to trying it. I'm thinking of pouring it maybe this afternoon evening. And uh, I have a Shimei goblet. Uh, glass that I bought, and uh, looking forward to 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 trying this great beer. That sounds that sounds actually quite fascinating. I mean, I would think that the alcohol by volume uh, content of this is a little bit higher than uh, normal, right? Uh, probably around uh, this what twelve percent, eight to twelve percent. Um, I'll, I I would actually have to step into my uh, step into my kitchen to look at the bottle, um, so I don't know. No, that that that's fine. I was actually um so uh, you know that's actually a very good point about retail uh microbreweries because um surprisingly even though we uh, even though we have such a huge microbrewery culture in uh in the U S. I actually have a very hard time, and and I suppose it has something to do with being in in Pennsylvania with its rather antiquated laws about liquor, um, or at least what in my, what are in my op uh, humble opinion very antiquated laws about uh, liquor and um, you know conservative uh, forces here. But um, having said that, we do have really really good uh, micro breweries in the area. Yeah. Right. We have uh, we have yards. Uh, we have uh, we have you know Yingling. You have a uh, Dogfish Head. You've got um, and what's the one in Harrisburg? I used to go to one in Harrisburg. Um, uh, good point. I am drawing a blank. Trogs is in the area. Uh, Trogs, yeah, uh, yeah, that was yeah Trogs. Yeah, so you, I mean, you've got Dock Street is also close by. You've got so many of these places, but it's very hard to buy them retail. You have to actually, you know, you have to go out of the way to go find them, or you have to, you know, just buy them by the case, uh, right? I mean, you've got plenty of breweries around to buy them by the case, yeah, right. So it's also a good excuse to make sure that you have enough people over to help you finish <laughs> that case. The right. The next time you're in downtown Philly, I remember from the time I lived in Rittenhouse Square, there was a nice. Uh, store there that you, you know it was kind of a smaller Whole Foods. It's 
it's sold sort of upmarket uh, groceries and right Trader Joe's. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not trade. It's not uh, Trader Joe's. It was a small, small privately owned place. Okay. Um, it was it was in the Rittenau Square side, so I guess uh, south of Market Street. Okay. And uh, they sold uh, nice beers there, uh, uh, microbrew beers there uh, by the bottle. But again, you'll end up paying retail price because of antiquated Pennsylvania laws. Yep. Well, that that at least is something that is at least is a good place to get you know one or two to find what I would like, right? Although speaking of that, uh, you know today and this is something I was actually uh, I was actually planning to head out later today to uh, go enjoy is we've got two not one but two beer festivals out in uh, out in Philadelphia. Oh, today, nice. Right. We have. Uh, we have beer fest which is being organized by the german the historical german society uh and uh the food and drink are being sourced from a actual uh, uh this uh, german uh, tap house in the area braha schmitz and uh in addition to that we have um we also have the dogfish head weekend so you have uh, you have Dogfish Head has tied uh, has tied up with a uh, local uh, bar to just have all micro brews on tap. They actually have the 120 minute nice. IPA, uh, on tap. So uh, it's going to be a rather interesting weekend because you have the 120 minute. You have uh, the best of the Dogfish Head uh, line in one part of uh, in one part of town, and less than five blocks away, you have. All the you know Dunkelweiss, you've got Bockwurst, you've got all these different kinds of German beers, right? That have been imported in. Uh, Twenty-five bucks gets you all you can drink. It's fantastic. I am so jealous. Uh, go and enjoy, dude. Have fun today. Uh, I will, and I have a designated driver, so it makes it even better. <laughs> nice. Um, so signing off. On that note, as uh, Jeeves leaves at nine in the morning to go to a beer festival. <laughs> yes, and uh, to uh, to enjoying the rest of the day and the rest of the weekend um, in blissful beer-filled harmony. This is Jeeves signing off. S signing off, and this is Krishna.